coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Thursday to you. It would be easy for me and low-hanging fruit to just dive right in on the Ron DeSantis rollout yesterday and uh, the... The inability for another Elon Musk project to launch, but that's low-hanging fruit. Instead, I want to go back to something that I was talking about earlier this week, Eric Erickson and conservative media punditry just going absolute ape shit over Target's Pride merchandise, and Target blinked. Now, I think all along, and I, and I said this a few days ago, that right-wing media kind of got played a little bit because they freaked out about a brand, uh, like a producer of product that Target was going to include in their Pride merchandise, kind of mocking them. They did. They got, they got pulled in by themselves being mocked. Greg Sargent at the Washington Post filed uh, an article, well, an op-ed, that I'm going to share with you and stop from time to time to comment on. The headline uh, opinion, Target's surrender to MAGA rage shows how anti-wokeness really works. This is in today's Washington Post. Uh, Greg writes, It is sometimes said that corporate America is a battleground in the culture wars. This has taken on an ugly new meaning in the case of Target, which just announced that it will pull some LGBTQ-friendly merchandise from shelves after experiencing threats that affected its employees' quote, sense of safety. You kidding me? Sense of safety. Employees felt threatened. But again, MAGA, you can't be upset that folks are triggered out of fear of physical safety after January 6th. That's on you. Back to Greg Sargent. Target's surrender, which came after concerted attacks from MAGA media personalities, including Eric Erickson, points to a bigger story. The anti-woke right is increasingly wielding heavy-handed tactics, including state power and violent threats, to block corporations from making their own decisions about how to adapt to social change. Though the right is losing this battle at large, it is innovating and having some success. So much for free market capitalism, though, right? So much for cancel culture mocking. Back to Greg Sargent. It's unclear which items target will pull. But right-wing figures had claimed Target was selling, quote, tuck-friendly swimwear as part of its Pride Month collection to kids. That's what their assertion was. Tuck-friendly swimwear to kids. As the Daily Beast reports, those figures labeled Target CEO Brian Cornell a, quote, pervert groomer and even called for Republican Attorneys General to investigate him. Grief. One Arizona man threatened disruptions at Target stores, warning that LGBTQ people are not safe. The right's claim appears to be false. Well, shock of all shocks. As the Associated Press reports, Target sold this swimwear, which allows trans women without gender-affirming operations to conceal genitalia, only to adults. But Target backed down admitting that the threats were in response to the Pride collection and explicitly promising to remove items that triggered, quote, confrontational behavior. Well, what the f*** isn't confrontational to these thin-skinned Neanderthals? 
Greg Sargent, Washington Post continues, this is part of a trend. Right-wing activists and Republican politicians have repeatedly sought to make it harder for corporations to embrace liberal social change. So much for free market capitalism. Recently, for instance, the right opened fire on Bud Light for prominently sending, it wasn't prominent, prominently sending a personalized beer can to a transgender influencer. The company put the executive behind the move on leave. On another front, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis openly used government power to retaliate against Disney's opposition to DeSantis' don't-say-gay law restricting classroom discussions of sex and gender. Other Republicans across the country are trying to use government power to limit investors from adopting social consideration in their investment decisions. So much for free market capitalism. Sergeant continues, it would be overly simplistic to say that in these cases, corporations, executives, and investors are simply ministering to majority opinion and that the right represents an angry minority. Although they are the angry minority. I'm saying that, not Greg Sargent. In the case of Bud Light, the resulting backlash reportedly cut into sales, meaning untold numbers of customers were unhappy with the decision. DeSantis was also re-elected by a large majority of Floridians well after his war on Disney began. I would also point out, however, that he ran against Charlie Crist, a former Republican himself. It's not like Democrats really felt like they had an option. Sergeant continues, nevertheless, the right's telling of the story is all wrong. In its reading, woke corporate elites are scheming in boardrooms to push the culture in a more progressive direction against the wishes of disempowered, silent, culturally conservative majorities. Okay, first of all, they're not disempowered. They're certainly not silent. And they're not the majority. Anyway, back to Greg. Uh, That's why right-wing figures have trained their ire on, quote, woke corporations. Still can't define what woke is. Often insisting this justifies the use of state power against them. In reality, Greg writes, corporations are acting in response to the broader culture. They are making self-interested decisions about how to profit off cultural shifts. And while such decisions do reinforce that evolution, they are a reaction to real, on-the-ground change. Let that marinate for just a second. So what we're dealing with here is a not-silent, not-majority, minority howling about wokeism that they can't really describe except for the fact that they don't like that culture, the broader culture, isn't just white and heteronormative. They don't like it. They don't like that they've been losing on culture wars either. I mean, make no mistake, the the folks that are talking about going into Target and destroying Pride merch or displays or harming Target employees? What the hell? Um, they're the same ones that show up at their family functions knowing that gay cousin Trevor is going to show up with his boyfriend and on the surface acts like he's okay with it. But deep down, you get a sense of what he really thinks. Greg continues, The Bud Light gesture towards trans people was deliberately conceived as an effort to reach new customer constituencies. Disney's opposition to Don't Say Gay was driven in part by discernible movements in public sentiment on LGBTQ issues as well as opinion among rank-and-file employees. 
Princeton University historian Kevin Cruz says, One thing businesses are very good at is determining the public mood. They adjust themselves to that. Professor Cruz, by the way, K-R-U-S-E, a great follow on Twitter. Cruz sees parallels in the 1950s and 1960s when big companies felt pushed by the civil rights movement's groundswell for change. They found themselves caught between those forces and reactionaries who didn't want them to evolve. Similarly, in the 1980s and 1990s, the religious right railed against gay-friendly corporate behavior, but corporations kept changing, reinforcing ongoing evolution. We all know how MAGA feels about evolution. Corporations wind up deepening those trends, Professor Cruz said. Kyle Edward Williams, Greg Sargent writes, author of the forthcoming book on political battles over corporations, notes that these calculations are often complicated. Big corporations want to appear in step with causes of the moment to give them a, quote, personality and a, quote, moral conscience, Williams says. And to be honest, let me let you inside the, behind the gay curtain a little bit. We aren't wholly unaware that a lot of the corporations that fall all over themselves to change their logos to rainbow colors for Pride Month, which is coming up in just a matter of days, do so in a signalish sort of way. No, we're aware of it, and we, we know that a lot of them disappear from the front lines on July 1st. But, again, that's that's for us to deal with. We are, we're aware of that. Uh, the Greg Sargent op-ed continues. That has made them responsive to broad-based progressive social causes, such as the environmental and Black Lives Matter movements. All this has intensified as people increasingly identify consumer choices with political leanings, creating what Williams calls a corporate, quote, arms race to show that they care about issues. This is what the right's rear guard actions are really arrayed against. The goal is to extract pain from and in some cases wield state power against corporations much for free market capitalism to stop them from making profit oriented decisions that reinforce cultural evolution already underway underway that they don't care for that's a new development within the right williams told greg sargent adding that the right is adopting even more aggressive efforts to quote protect and shore up conservative cultural interests the op-ed winds These campaigns are having successes here and there as seen in Target's case. But the changes that corporations such as Target are responding to are happening in the real world among ordinary people everywhere. Far beyond, quote, woke elite boardroom suites, no amount of bullying and threats will make them disappear. Make no mistake, conservative punditry, the Eric Erickson types are going to claim victory over this blink by Target. And it's a blink. It's not a retreat. Make no mistake, you walk into Target in the next few days, there's still going to be rainbow merch. There's going to be all kinds of pride stuff to sell. And if they're going to freak out about it, they're going to freak out about it. But it's been that way for years. uh, Years. And it's not going to change. They're not going to change either. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, there'll probably be some TikToks viral videos of jackasses making jackasses of themselves in Target. (laughs) Folks that probably never shopped at Target to begin with. I mean, you know, listen, there are Walmart people and there are Target people. You know what I mean? Those folks, probably Walmart people by and large. 
And have been for a while, I would think. So after they ask their gay cousin Trevor where the nearest target is, they may show up and make an ass of themselves. You know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. It really sucks. And I feel for the target employees or any employees of any business who feel like they are imperiled because some MAGA nut's going to come January 6th the place. But the more we allow the Donald Trumps, the Ron DeSantis's, the, the, these type, the, the Marjorie Taylor Greens to continue to wield their influence on not just politics, but society by not voting them out, by not overwhelmingly saying, no, we reject your bullshit, the more they're going to feel emboldened and their base to do the same, to do as they will. So it's on us to shop where we want and elect who we want. Back after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. By the way, next segment, in fact, the entire second half of the show, we talk with our friend Julie Balki. She's founder, chief career strategist with The Balki Group. That firm helps people land their dream jobs. Julie spent a lot of time working in the HR field and also authored the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. We're going to talk with her about the jobs landscape with the debt ceiling and the, the, the past two years and what can 2023 grads expect to face when they get their diplomas and head out to find a job. This is, however, a Georgia and Atlanta-based show, and I've been doing a lot of national scope stuff of late. But I have to share with you this from from the halls of Congress and our dear friend Marjorie Taylor Greene. The members are reminded to abide by decorum of the House. That is, that's gut laughter right there, y'all. That is hearty stuff. House will be in order. The house will be in order. Uh huh. That is uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene looking for order and decorum in the halls of Congress. The same, by the way, chamber that she was yelling at the President of the United States during his most recent State of the Union speech. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene that wants decorum. Oh, please, lady. <laughs> Adam Schiff said uh, on Twitter he hadn't laughed that hard in a while. Representative Jimmy Gomez of California likened Greene's plea for decorum to, quote, Leonardo DiCaprio telling people to date people their own age. <laughs> oh, Marge. Oh, and by the way, while she and her cohorts and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are essentially threatening the entire economy with either default or some draconian cuts, Marjorie Taylor Greene had $100,000 to throw around to buy a used chapstick from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. That, By the way, it's money going to the House GOP's uh, National Republican Congressional Committee. So they did a fundraising auction of this Kevin McCarthy used cherry lip balm. 
So Marjorie Taylor Greene placed the winning $100,000 bid on it and said, I'm honored to be able to donate $100,000 to the NRCC to help Republicans increase our majority in 2024 and defeat the Democrats. My constituents will be honored to host a visit with Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who we all think is doing a great job. She released that statement. Yes, so apparently with the lip balm, he agreed to attend a dinner with whoever won the auction, that being Marjorie, and whichever donors and supported uh, supporters they planned to bring along. So, House District 14, congratulations. Not only are you represented by the mistress of decorum, <laughs> now you're going to have the House Speaker who could likely bring down the global economy right there in your district. Yay. By the way, how stupid is Marjorie Taylor Greene? Look, listen, that could be asked a million different times for a million different reasons, but how stupid does Marjorie Taylor Greene look now that Nick Fuentes, that's right, Nick Fuentes, the white nationalist, has all but said he only used Marjorie Taylor Greene for his own purposes. Back in 2022, he would say, well, we want to have 250 Marjorie Taylor Greens in Congress. We want to have 30 Marjorie Taylor Greens in the Senate. We want to have a Marjorie Taylor Green in the White House. We want them all over. And then two days ago, he says, So if Marjorie Green came to the conference, I'm not going to say no. Because then everybody's talking about AFPAC 3, and they're talking about Russia, and they're talking about Hitler, and they're talking about white identity. So... We instrumentalized her for that purpose, and it mm. worked. We got what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, it's still a problem. Like, women do not belong in politics. We can recognize that oh. we're in a situation where we have to work with what we have politically, and then by the same token, like, <laughs> never accept for one solitary moment that we would ever have any women in politics. Delicious. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. In other words... I, all along, never accepted Marjorie Greene as a congresswoman, Ah. or Lauren Boebert for that matter, Ah. or any of them. Ah. I am also smart enough to recognize that me not accepting them does not make them not congresswomen, Mm -hmm. or does not make them not advantageous or beneficial in some way. (laughs) And that's the approach that people need to have. What a guy. I I hate to admit this, but I I think that Nick Fuentes and I can at least agree that Candace Taylor is pretty useless, too. Remember Candace, Jesus, was it Jesus, Guns, and Babies? Jesus, Babies, and Guns, that was her campaign slogan. Candace, spelled K-A-N-D-I-S-S. Candace, by the way, is a flat earther. Listen to this. More and more, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. So, is it or not? I don't know 100%, but it's just, it doesn't make sense the other way. Now that you see it. The people that defend the globe don't know anything about the globe because if they knew a tenth of what Matt and I know about the globe, they would be flat earthers because it's absolutely ridiculous. I I can't unsee this. All the globes everywhere. I turn on TV. There's globes in the background. There's globes on there right here. Like this would be a globe if I was a normal person. Like everywhere there's globes. You see them all the time. I mean, it's constant. My children will be like, mama, globe, 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 globe. They're everywhere. And that's what they do to brainwash. And so for me, if it is not a conspiracy, if it is, you know, real, mm-hmm. why are you pushing so hard everywhere I go, every store, mm-hmm. you buy a globe, mm-hmm. there's globes everywhere, every movie, mm-hmm. every TV show, news media. Why? That is a 
Georgia Republican Party District Chair, Candace. If I was a normal person. Taylor on an interview with Flat Earth Dave, David Weiss, and Matt Long on her Jesus Guns and Babies podcast recently. So because she sees globes all over, it's surely a conspiracy. Ma'am, I see cars all over. Is that a, well, that is a conspiracy. That is a marketing conspiracy. I see people walking their dogs all over. Is that a conspiracy? Pet smart, I'm on to you. Also, I'm a cat guy. But you know what? Cats have become the most popular pet in the country. Is that a conspiracy against dogs? Man, the rabbit hole, we could jump down by just thinking. <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but the trajectory we're on with Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump and Lauren Boebert and Jim Jordan, these morons. C- Candace is now likely a congressional, Senate, gubernatorial, or even presidential candidate. God help us all. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. Lots of folks graduating. I've seen uh, high school graduation picks, college graduation ceremonies happening all over the place, people giving commencement ceremonies. Can't think of a better time to have a conversation about folks wandering into the workforce. And I'm joined by Julie Balke, founder, chief career strategist with the Balke Group. Uh, her firm helps people land their dream jobs. She's also spent 16 years working uh, in human resources herself and the author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. Julie, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I like the way that you said, as they wander into the job workforce. Yeah, because some don't. (laughs) Yeah, some. As they flop into the job force. Well, you hear all the baby boomers. uh, The boomers talk about how they just stay in my basement and don't do anything. So, uh, you know, there's that that, that trope as well. There's uh, so many things to dive into here. CBS News reporting that the class of 23 graduates are heading into the labor market with uncertainty. And Bloomberg Bloomberg says college grads are struggling to get hired in 23. And according to LinkedIn, hiring down by 29% compared to last year. But I think there's a caveat to that because there was just a ton of like refilling of empty positions last year too. So what what's fact and what's fiction in all this? So, you know, the, the numbers really are all over the place. You know, one day I'll see a survey that says one thing and the other day I'll see a survey that says the other, which I think is pretty representative of how confused everybody is, both employers and employees, about the workforce today and how to respond and on the, you know, from the, from the employer side, how to attract, retain and engage a workforce. And from the individual side, how do I navigate and manage my career? And so there's there. And and so, you know, I think it's, it's, it is tempting to, when we're trying to understand something, it is tempting to, put everybody into one bucket and call them something. Mm-hmm. Which is, so when I hear people say that Gen Z is lazy, it just makes me cringe because I think that's unfair. I think they don't work like, I think there are lazy people in Gen Z, just like there are in all generations. Right. Um, you know, I remember very clearly when my, my dad, he was probably in his fifties and I was in my twenties, just coming home from work, just shaking his head, certain that the company he worked for was going to, Go down the tubes because of these young people. Right. And so there's, you know, there's some element of they are young and they are immature, just like we all were in mm. our early 20s. But they also, what they do have that we didn't have is a confidence that is sometimes misplaced 
about themselves and the way world works, the world works and the way work should be. And I think that is, I think they are very demanding. I think they look at things differently and it's, this is not all bad, Um, but it's so off-putting for those of us who aren't Gen Z. My millennial son, who's 28, has a Gen Z reporting to him and he's, you know, he's, he's cringing as well because of (laughs) some of the things that this 22, 23 year old does and says. So there are just some real generational differences, all mishmashed in the workplace today. And it's just, it's hard to kind of unpack it, but you know, they are young, but they're not entirely wrong. There's something to be said too, for this generational divide that kind of leaves the workforce too. You know, there's a lot of conversation from the boomer generation, uh, even into my, you know, I'm, I'm 49 that there's a there's a disregard for the talk of like student loan forgiveness. Well, I didn't have that. Why should they have? You, you know, the, those mm-hmm. sorts of uh, yeah. there's, there's there's a little bit of that I think that kind of uh, uh, taints the the conversation too. Does it not? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it is. But what happens is it becomes like comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. The world is so different, mm-hmm. and so the student loan debt that they have is wildly exponentially Worse. larger than what we had. Right. Also, when, you know, I remember back, I'm a baby boomer and I remember very clearly, believe it or not, coming right out of college and there was one path, go work for a big company Mm. or maybe a mid-sized company. Mm. That was it. That was it. You know, uh, I wasn't, you can't freelance and DoorDash and Uber and travel the world and start your own thing and, uh, you know, put a portfolio career together. So you're doing multiple things. Those weren't options. And so to say that it should be like it was in the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s um, is is really I don't think it's I don't think it's um, fair I don't think it's accurate I don't think it's helpful because these kids are coming out at a time when a lot is different now there's a lot that's also the same because we are still human beings but for the most part they are confused they are overwhelmed they are anxious. They are. They believe their parents expect them to go, expect their special snowflakes to go rule the world. And maybe they have that pressure on themselves as well. And so getting started in something and potentially not loving it or failing at it, quote unquote, is a lot harder for them than it, than it has been for previous generations. Right. And so what, what happens is they just, it, it becomes kind of this failure to launch sort of thing um, that, you know, it, it's rooted in a lot of cases in fear. I tell people, and I'm not a parent, so, you know, if, if I'm wrong, if people want to cringe when they hear me say this, then so be it. But I'm not a parent. But I tell people under the age of 30, like when they're just getting through with college, man, go see the world, go do things, get this all out of your system. Because when you have kids, you have a job, you're not going to be able to do this sort of stuff. Right. So I, I, you know, for those that can afford to do that or have the ability to just, you know, backpack through your, man, I say, go do that stuff before you turn like 26, 28 and you start a, a career and the, the job tethers you to the 40 plus hour work week. And then you find some girl or a guy and you, 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 you have a kid. Yeah. Is there some of that too, though? I mean, and, and, and yeah. again, I'm sure boomers look back in my generation too, Gen, you know, Gen Z, Gen X, uh, we look back and, and we see that happening and we're like, well, I didn't get to do that. Well, but that's your fault yep. if you didn't. Yep. Yeah. But you know, and, and, and also back in the, back in the day, it was like, it was frowned upon yeah. to experiment, to try things, to, 
um, want to see the world and work on a boat and you know do all the things that this generation's talking about, it was really frowned upon. You were seen as unserious. You were seen as not career focused. And that luckily, that has changed significantly. And it will continue to as more baby boomers with that old thinking, mm. leave the leave the workforce. And Gen Z continues to take over a bigger portion of the workforce at thinking. And therefore, the acceptability of that is going to continue to increase. And I say, thank heavens, because how many people you've heard the stories you work, you start at 22, you retire at 22 with your gold watch. You sit on the porch and you're dead in six months. Yeah. You know, that was a thing. And I think that's, I think we have for a lot of reasons over the last you know 20 years or so, our attitudes toward work have been slowly shifting more toward, look, I'm not um, living to work. I'm working to live. Yes. And it's, and this generation gets it, which is why it rubs older people the wrong way. And again, I'm in that category. It doesn't rub me the wrong way, mm -hmm. but because I have sat across the desk from people for decades, for a couple decades who have that hollow look in their eyes, who literally just tried to survive for 20 to 30 years, their relationships suffered, their health suffered. They were miserable. And once you get that deep into that hole, it's so hard to pull yourself out of it. I had a couple of points in my life that made me come to this realization that I too was a, a cog in a machine and decided to, to change. Well, three things happened. First of all, my mother passed when she was 58. She never got to enjoy retirement. Uh, that was about 12 years ago. And my dad works, you know, still to this day, he still works because, uh, you know, the finances that they weren't prepared for, it, just so much happened when my mother passed at an early age that impacted that. Um, I also had a career in radio broadcasting for 28 plus years and was managing radio stations and working 60 hour work weeks. And I, when it was all said and done, I didn't have much to show for that. And so a year or so ago, getting divorced and starting a new career in, in real estate four years ago, I've just decided, man, and I know this sounds slack for anybody who's listening, I'm not going to work a 40-hour work week again. I'm just not. I am my own boss. I would Anybody that wants to get into real estate, by the way, call me. I'll talk you through this. It's scary to start with, but I'm telling you, it is uh, uh, liberating in, in some yeah. ways to find a, a, a job or a career that you can set your own hours and set your own pace and make as much as you want if you want and so on and so forth. But that's, that's just me. I just decided. And, and look, look, I was in my 40s when I hit that realization. Which is kind yeah. of I I'm yeah. I feel bad about that being too old, but at some point yeah. in time that realization kind of kicks in that we're we're all working our asses off for for faceless entities that don't give a rip about our well being yeah. or if we get to the point of retirement, let alone enjoying years of it. You know what is what is so funny about that, and amen to everything you said because you know, and I think I think the vast majority of people want flexibility. The ability to say yes and no to work to certain projects or clients, the ability to manage their lives. I, I think almost everybody wants that. And what is so fascinating to me is that companies, and I use that term very broadly, but the, the decision makers at companies still don't understand that. They don't get it. And those are people who are very career forward, very, that's all they want out of their lives. And that's where they spend their time. And they are holding others to the standards that they themselves have chosen to follow. Mm -hmm. 
and they're not understanding. So when a company says, get back to work, fun times over kids, you know, get back in the office five days a week and people are going, yeah, I don't think so. They're, they're like stunned. They just don't understand. And so that's when they start talking about people being lazy, the younger generation being lazy. It's like, no, we just don't want to, we don't have the same work values that you did. We don't have the same life values. I know so many people, and it's mostly men, who gave all to their careers and then they ended up divorced. They ended up, when they retired, they got divorced um, because they spent no time with their family pouring into, right, pouring into the other sectors of life. Yep. And it's, unfortunately, it's just one of those things you can talk yourself blue in the face and people don't realize it until it's too late. It's so funny you mentioned that because uh, I got out of radio broadcasting and then spent a couple of years and COVID didn't help either. Uh, getting into real estate and spending more time at home. And I think that maybe that contributed to the divorce. We spent more time together after the fact, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that happens. That I, does I, happen. Uh, you know, I, I'm half hearted in that joking. But anyway, Julie Balke joining us. She is the founder and chief career strategist with the Balke Group. Uh, she and her firm help people land their dream jobs. Spending years in HR, she did. And she's also author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. So I got to ask you this because everybody's focusing, at least in Washington and in political circles, with a debt ceiling crisis. And it seems as if today's graduates have lived through so many of these ginned up crises. Uh, did I say that right? And um, <laughs> even like the, 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 the crash of 2007, 2008. And is this really a concern for them? Or are they just going like, oh, here, here we go with another one of these cycles that's going to be a downturn for me. And do I just kind of sit and wait for it to play out? Or do I try and get a job while the unemployment rate's still really low and employees seem to have a little bit of the upper hand? Or do they? Get it. You have to get in the game. You have to get in the game. If you want to wait until everything is smooth sailing, mm-hmm. you will be in your parents' basement until you die. Yeah. There's no such thing. And I think we learn, we have learned that starting with, and I think all this started with layoffs in the 90s. Right. Before the 90s, there really weren't layoffs. Companies just put you in the corner and you know made you irrelevant. Mm. But the layoffs started in the 90s. And so we have generations in the workforce now who saw this fake thing called company loyalty, which was never a thing, never a thing. completely... Uh, disappear. Even even that the the um, the the thought of it um, has really been eroding over the years. Even though it was really never a thing, um, but people saw their parents get laid off. They saw people they cared about get laid off. Then we had nine eleven. Then we had two seven two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. And so this generation, all the generations in the workplace, except for baby boomers and maybe very old Xers, have lived through so many different iterations and ups and downs of the workplace that, you know, you have to be resilient. You have to go into work, into the workforce, understanding that you are not going to go one place and stay there for 40 years. It is going to be virtually unheard of. The jobs that are going to exist in 10 years, many of them don't exist today. Right. And so it's really about building your resilience and really building relationships. And that's one of the things I worry about with this younger generation is that they aren't very good at the face-to-face. I saw this article that talked about how many of these new grads are searching for jobs with zero human contact. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, unless you work in a lab or, you know, or you, that, that just doesn't exist. And it's also foolish to try to even look for that because as we look at, 
AI and some of those things that will take over the workplace, in reality, things like the ability to, you know, being emotionally aware, to have good relationships, to collaborate, to influence, those are going to be the highly marketable skills, as well as the ability to use technology. But those skills, the need for those skills is going to do nothing but increase. And so you've got to get in the game, start hitting your head against the wall, making mistakes, screwing stuff up, having some successes, because that's really what a good career is made up of. So I want to put a pin in that because I got to take a quick break and come back. But I want to talk to you from the perspective on the other side of that as well, because uh, it's about a year or so ago, I was going to take a full-time job with a marketing, uh, not a mar- well, it was a market, it's called a marketing firm, but they're actually headhunters. I felt a little overwhelmed by the technological aspect of all of that as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, okay. in just a few minutes. The job market, is it a little too daunting for the 2023 grad? Will there be work? Are we headed for some sort of a recession? And uh, all, all of those implications. We're with Julie Balke, who is the founder and chief strategist of the Balke Group, author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes. I like saying this title. Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. We're back with her in just a minute on The Ron Show. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Back with Julie Balke, and we are talking about the job market for the 2023 grad. She is the founder, chief strategist of the Balke Group, also author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes that Screw Up Your Job Search. So you were talking about today's generation of uh, new employees, the folks just stepping out into the workforce, not being good at the face-to-face. So it was about a year and a half ago or so, I was kind of unsure if real estate was going to be able to pay my bills. And actually, I just didn't have the confidence in myself that, to, to write it out, if I'm being honest. So I spent about six weeks training to work for, I'll just say it, LHH Marketing. They are, uh, I think they're Swedish-based company. Anyway, they're- Swiss. Swiss. Yeah, Swiss. So they're kind of like a headhunting firm. And I'm going to be honest with you, the, the training, the onboarding was overwhelming. And maybe I'm just realizing at age 48 then that I I, I have uh, adult ADHD that I didn't ever have diagnosed back when I was a kid because we didn't have that. But there was so much that was overwhelming about it. And there was a lot less what you talked about, the face-to-face, unless we're talking like Teams meetings or Zoom calls and this, that, and the other. Is there a little bit of blame on both sides when it comes to the folks looking to hire and the folks looking to get hired? You know, it's, it's the, yes. Um, two things. I, I am such a believer that it is called your career for a reason mm. that you are in charge of keeping yourself relevant. Mm. But that's kind of actually kind of a new concept, to be honest. I mean, people really have um, not done a good job in a lot of cases. They're like, well, you know, I, I, I can show up and learn it. Or my employer is supposed to teach me what I need to learn to be successful. So we are kind of stuck in that thinking. So it really has to be both ways. Employers have to get really clear that there is a significant skills gap and it's, it's only getting wider with the advent of AI as a part of what's expected at work. Mm. So I tell people, you have to stay as up-to-date as you possibly can in your profession and in your industry. In other words, what so it doesn't get overwhelming. What tools and what apps, what systems, what programs, what are being used in your profession and in your industry? Mm-hmm. And just start there. Go on YouTube, start watching some videos, go to Coursera, go to all these places that offer online training has never been more available to the individual. And so don't, if you have the attitude that, well, well, my company will teach you whatever I need to know, that is the wrong attitude because what it does not position you as is a lifelong learner, as someone who takes initiative 
and being really great at what they do. And so when you go into interview, you have to really be conversant with the technology. You don't have to be an expert always. I mean, it kind of depends on what your job requires, Mm -hmm. but don't take that attitude of anything that can be read as, I don't like to learn, I don't take initiative, because that makes you a bad hire, regardless of what you already know. The, The pace that we are required to keep up with knowledge and skills and technology, it's just increasing. And so anything you can do to stay up yourself on it and really understand. And then on top of that, just being willing to learn Mm. and not be one of those people. And it's usually older people who say, well, I've always done it that way. I'm not going to learn that. I don't believe in that. No, 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 I'm not doing it that way. And they're out there. We all have worked with them. (laughs) And the more you are that, the less attractive you're going to be uh, you know, there's, I see a lot of call for companies to start training people in those, even in those soft skills, like mm. collaboration, yeah. um, c- direct communication, conflict resolution, yes. um, working across departments. And so companies are trying to address that, but the, the better you are at it already, the more effective you can be immediately and the more value you'll add. Well, I got to be honest, being a former mid-level management type myself who worked with young people who were either interning or, or coming out of college and wanting to get into broadcasting, I have to admit, like looking back, I felt like that generation was either being lazy or putting an emphasis on having a good time or enjoying their life, et cetera, and so on. What I didn't understand was that it didn't mean as much to them because they weren't as invested as I was. And I was probably over-invested myself. Also, there's so much to be taught on the job. People come out of college not knowing the real skills it takes to do what they may have gotten a degree in. And so there's there's that disconnect where they may be eager to learn, but if you get frustrated in teaching them and they don't catch on right away, it can sour you and them and just kind of the entire process falls apart without that conflict resolution that you talked about. Yeah. And the ability to advocate for yourself. Here's a great example. I ran into some friends out the other night and this guy was telling me about his son who works for a very progressive company. He does not have a college degree. He is training the people that are going to come in and do these particular jobs. And so in other words, he's the expert. The new people who are coming in with a college degree are making $20,000 more a year than he is. Wow. And I said, he has to advocate for himself. He has to go in, point this out to the leadership of the organization and ask for a resolution. Mm -hmm. And the college degree in this case really isn't relevant. And we're seeing such a change in, in how organizations are looking at are degrees really required? Yes. But in this case, he's already doing the job. He's a top performer. You really expect him to stick around and feel motivated knowing that he's still teaching and training these kids who are making a lot more than he is. Yeah. He himself is like 24. So he's not, you know, he's young, but it's like, really? I mean, for the let's look at what does the job require versus what are our artificial barriers to getting into those jobs? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I know that that's been a, a bone of contention here lately. I know the uh, the Pennsylvania governor eliminated a lot of those sort of uh, necessities for college degrees for state positions as well. And, and listen, we could talk about that a few more minutes if we wanted to. Unfortunately, I'm running light on time. Julie Balke, I appreciate the time. Founder, chief career Anytime. strategist with the Balke Group, also author of the book, Stop Peeing on Your Shoes, Avoiding the Seven Mistakes That Screw Up Your Job Search. That book can be found on Amazon, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the Balke Group, how do we find that? 
thebalkygroup.com. We're in the middle of a website redo, which is about as much fun as dental surgery. <laughs> so we've got a lot of um, new career happiness programs that are coming. Um, but yeah, we have, we have some information about that on there, but keep checking back. I want the world to be career happy. That's my that's my naive yet lofty goal. We'll uh, <laughs> share that link on our show notes today at ronshowatl.com and on the podcast platforms as well. Julie, thanks for the time. I appreciate Take it. Take care. That's our time for today. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Podcast links and more, ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.